in the fourth foundation of mindfulness is content of mind. But here, the Buddha has something specific in mind, not just what I have mentioned already as labeling when the mind is distracted. When the mind is distracted from the meditation subject, and we label and say, be sure, past or unnecessary or or something like that, that also is content of mind. The Buddha has something very specific that he considers content of mind. And he wants the person who practices to check the content of mind against the teaching. Now in order to do that, one has to have certain knowledge, one has to have certain practice at one's fingertips in order to be able to check against them. If one doesn't know them, one can't check against them. So there are several of them that we actually need to remember in order to check against them. I think it's extremely helpful, of course, to have them uh, in advanced fingertips to know them because it also makes it more impersonal because from the Buddha's teaching we can see already that this must be a, a universal occurrence that these things happen and we don't have a personal monopoly. Most people think that they have a personal monopoly on all the things that happen Nobody does. Everything is happening to everybody. Only some people react to the foolish and others react with intelligence and some react sometimes to the and sometimes So, everything is happening to everybody. And this is the genius of the Buddha's teaching that he has described this universality of mind. He shows how it happens in each case. And when we see that, it doesn't invite us to become complacent, it just invites us to become attentive, but not personally connected, rather to have an understanding that it changes. Now the first thing that he mentions as content of mind are the five kingdoms. And I will explain the five kingdoms now, what he started explaining. In this reference, not only to their characteristics, to their antidotes, but also to their connection with meditative absorption or meditation as such. Because there we have a very important, in fact, um, a brilliant remedy against that available. A five tendencies can be considered the mental disease of everybody's heart. Or we don't need to talk about that, that the Aran hasn't got it, because the Aran doesn't really um, have to be considered in that respect, because 
So the five sentences, to first give them their name, because it's very helpful to have the names of one's enemies on hand. Usually, we don't have much of an insight into who are our friends and who are our enemies. Particularly because, first of all, we don't pay enough attention. That's the main problem. But also because we haven't got enough wisdom. So we've got the Buddha to tell us, this is wonderful. We don't have to um, rummage around in our own um, head about it. He tells us. So their names are the vast essential gratification, which if they like to make it short and sweet, you can call names. But it is in this case called the vast essential gratification. And the second one is ill will, which you can call hate, but in this case it's called ill will. And the third one is cloth and pauper, or you can call it laziness and drowsiness. And the fourth one is restlessness and worry, and the fifth one is skepticism. Now that's their name. And naturally, everybody has a certain pet that he, har- he or she harbors more and more diligently than the others. So we have to find that pet. And some people have two pets and some have three. Everybody's got a pet. It's very helpful to find the one that is particularly um, an obstacle for. Now, if it happens to be the second one, ill will, most people who do have that as a predominant feature know all about it. Because it's very strong and it has a very unpleasant feeling behind it. But the first one is very difficult to see. And the others, not so easy. One can very often kill oneself that one doesn't have them. The second one, whoever has them, knows all, and has that move on about. Now, I don't want you to think that there is anybody around who has them. Even three men plus, one returner, two the two aspects of entering into Nibbana, the first two steps, still happen. It's only the non-returner that gets rid of completely. So even if we think we have a lot of grief that hate isn't really a problem, it is not a problem. And hate as well does not necessarily have to be furious. It doesn't have to be wild. It has all connotations. It is dislike, resistance, rejection, fear goes under it because we don't feel what we love, we always feel what we hate. Even we could say unhappiness goes under it. 
because we wouldn't, we wouldn't be unhappy if there wasn't something we disliked intensely. So that too, unhappiness is not only a hindrance but a defilement. These hindrances, of course, are all defilements. Yes, the pound that it doesn't even come better than the pound. So, so under this uh, heading of evil, we have all these more subtle states which arise in everybody, including irritation, impatience. All these belong to evil. The all five, of course, are part and parcel of an ordinary human being's myth. And if we accept the fact that the Buddha knew what he was talking about as far as that goes, it would behoove us to discuss within us. We are usually quite capable of discovering them in somebody else. We don't have much trouble with that. But discovering them in oneself, that's where it's at. That's about the other people who can It doesn't really matter. If the other people have it, that's nothing but a justification for oneself to have the big thing in the future. But to find them in oneself, that's fine. Everything else is entertainment. Finding from the other entertainment is that at least we know all Now, the Buddha gave for all of them, every day, in every, in every life situation, antidote. And I'll mention them all. But there is a particular and extremely important aspect contained in meditation which counteracts them. And because it counteracts them automatically, it is an assistance for us which is so valuable that without that assistance it will be very difficult to even Minimizing, never mind elimination. Elimination is anyway very, very difficult. But if we only rely on our recognition ability, which is of course impaired in everyone that isn't enlightened because we just don't have enough wisdom, we don't have enough clarity to see all this rubbish within us. If we only rely on the recognition, it only happens once in a while that we recognize. Particularly, we recognize it when we get terribly upset and nobody has said anything. But even then, we still don't Because we go back to the past and say, it must be because of. And then we can just start with our parents around here. It's a very common way of doing it. It's been done all over. With the psychologists. It's just putting the brain somewhere else. Parents are healing or enlightenment. 
And the contact of parents and certainly nothing happened. So, how do we expect our parents to have done it right? This is nothing but shifting the blame, that's all. It's not their fault. It's the modern, and uh, it appears to have some value because it doesn't point to oneself, it points somewhere else. So our recognition is impaired to find this, and then because we recognize only once in a while, we still don't even point to ourselves, we try to point outside of ourselves, and so our actual work on these hindrances is extremely limited. And that limitation, of course, limits the result. But when we do the meditation to the point of concentration, we have automatically. We don't have to try and find the hindrance. And we don't have to try and find the scapegoat. It has none of that applies then. The only thing that applies is that the mind has purification through that, through the concentration. Now this recognition factor is the mindfulness factor. Now I've been harping on that for so long, I'm sure that must be clear by now. That the mindfulness factor that we have to uh, um, cultivate in ourselves means self-recognition. If there is no self-recognition, you haven't any chance to have. And this mindfulness factor is also the beginning of concentration. So it works in two ways. Mindfulness means that we are pinpointedly attentive on the meditation subject and therefore can become concentrated. And mindfulness also means self-recognition. Both are to be used when it is practical to use them. Not, they are not um, interchangeable. If you want to meditate, it is the pinpoint attention to the meditation subject when we want to find out what makes us tick, gain insight, then the mindfulness is the pinpoint of attention to physical body, to feeling, to mental emotional state, to now content of mind. And if you remember the names of these comments, we can check content of mind against those comments and see whether one of them is present or whether something else is present and they are all absent. Now the reason we would be doing that in everyday life would be that unpleasantness has arisen. And instead of trying to blame and find the outside source, we have finally decided that we're going to find the inside source. And then, will can come It's possible. And when we do, it may in the first instance be in its, in its free case of recognition which has never happened before, which may even contain a bit of a happiness. Because most people who don't practice, you know, and everybody who doesn't practice properly, think that they're really very nice. And then when we find this 
real hate, this real ill will, this real irritation, this real anger, this can't It must have a call outside. But as one gets used to checking up, one sees it more and more. And one is less and less inclined to blame others for their deficiencies. Because we have our own. And since we don't want to start blaming ourselves for them, we also desist from blaming others. Obviously that doesn't always work. But it works so many times that it, that it actually results in practice. This is what happens. Most people think that I don't believe in what Now when we check up on ourselves because unpleasantness has arisen, and that's usually when lonely stuff, and everything goes well, people don't check. It is fine to write checks. Of course, that's also foolish because we should be checking all the time. But in the beginning, we check when unpleasantness And the first step is then to find it in oneself. <coughs> then when that becomes a picture, we may actually have enough things to check off and not just enough. But we certainly have that at the beginning. And there's a few different levels that have got from that. That's why Dukkha is out there. There's no compassion It's actually the only one we can rely on. If we don't start being choice. So, with our meditation practice and the built-in remedies, it looks like this. There are five synonyms, but there are also five meditation factors. And these five meditation factors, in the first instance, the first two, actually concern meditation before it becomes concentrated, or as just as it becomes concentrated. And the next three concern the content of mind when the first absorption is taking place. Now, the very first meditation test is which means initial application. Initial application means that one sits down and puts one's attention on it. That's all it means. And that counteracts our thirteen And that's why so many people don't do it. Because a third hindrance is so prevalent. Plus and talk. They can't bring themselves to get up in the morning and sit down and meditate. It's just too much of a, of a, of a strain on, on the third hindrance. The third hindrance So every morning in future, when you can't get up in time to meditate, then just say nicely and politely, Good morning, said him. Good morning today. That's all. And after a while, you might actually have, you know, have enough of that experience with that said him and say, well, look, you know, you're not going to be today. I'm going to have to do it. That's the reason why most courses have been giving for the last 16 years. The people fill out those classes of homes that you also filled out at the bottom of the chair, 
how often do you meditate? Now and then. That's why I said that there. Now, mind you, there are some remarkable exceptions. They actually put down daily, and they actually do daily, which is very nice. So that particular invention is not so big uh, that it is actually a disturbing for meditation. But this flock and talker, the Buddha described that as being in prison. And actually sees that. It's just sort of when it's caught in a, in a, like in a, in a web, in a web of inactivity. And if one lets that allows that over and over again, this web becomes stronger and stronger and it affects the mind. Everything is here. Everything. If we haven't got enough sense to know that, we really haven't even started on this meditative time. Everything that we, because what we do is torture, everything we do has an effect on Now obviously if we get up every morning and sit down to meditate, we are overcoming the certain which everybody has to come to do, overcoming it again and again to the point where the mind becomes less and less prone to that. It doesn't have that heaviness. It doesn't have this appearance of being surrounded by its own talk. If we don't do it, we procrastinate again and again and say, I'll do it tomorrow, I'll do it when the weather is better, I'll do it when I feel like it, or whatever. Then the mind does not work against this problem Corpus in the mind process, the body reacts in the like an animal that costs a lot. Have you seen that? Slow motion movement. Very interesting. It takes about two hours, or even more, I thought it more than two hours to try and see of a small size thing. It's very interesting to see. Anyway, I mean, it has, you know, for the universe of fallen, so full of torture in the human life that now it's got to do it like that. But anyway, that's the question. That's not that, that's the thing. But if we allow the mind to get caught in it, it will be more and more surrounded by this feeling of uh, laziness and drowsiness. And it will have, even in its activity, where it has to be found, not just meditation, which appears to be voluntary, actually it has to be, but uh, it appears to be voluntary, uh, in all other activities, it has <coughs> the same kind of mind state. Because we cannot divorce one mind state from another, just because we think, oh, well, you know, meditation is not that important, I'll do it next week. Doesn't mean that eventually the mind doesn't have that same sort of approach when it has to look after its responsibilities and duty and think it really wants to do. It still has that heaviness 
but it has to be something that is enlightening and elevating and um, has the quality of bringing the mind to a state where it can see things from a different angle. The usual angle we see things are another way to do it because that's thought with all the real things. So, talking Dhamma, noble conversation, should always help us. It doesn't have to be exactly that what I'm doing here. But it should always help us to see ourselves in the world and finally maybe see it to us. Now that's a common antidote. And here we may have, if we are lucky enough to have somebody in the house with us who does meditate every morning, then that might be the person who sets the alarm and says, come on, it's time to get out of bed. If we don't have that fortunate um, occurrence in our own house, well, we must look for the noble things uh, in our acquaintances and also learn to become a noble friend, self of the world. But of course we can only have anyone as far as we are self-conscious. So our first obligation is to gain as much insight in ourselves so that we can learn after all. It's like trying to give some money to a beggar. They haven't got any money in our pocket. The best intention is to run out. Maybe they'd like to give them a dollar, but they haven't got it. So we've got to first go out and earn that dollar. Because before we can give it to the beggar. It's the same thing with anything that one deals with them. If we want to become a little bit friendly, and we're going Find that situation, then we possibly have made these advances ourselves for that situation. And those days we have not made it yet. Lovely Popper, the Buddha also mentioned, has an antidote in which is not so overriding that it results in complete piety. Now there are people who work, 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 work and get to completely piety and then they don't have to do that. But then there are those who think that one should sit on the pillow all the time and do nothing. But both are extremes which don't work. There should be a balance between a physical action because the mind very often has renewed energy if it doesn't get it through the meditation gets renewed energy through some physical action if it's only taking a walk so he mentioned using one using one's body so that the blood circulation gets going It's another antidote in living that. But our actual fact of sitting down in this is automatic antidote. Now the others, we have to allow, we have to allow 
the noble conversation. We have to find the noble thing. We have to think of doing physical action. And we have to deliberately learn more about the people so that we can give ourselves a test But sitting down to meditate and trying to become contemplative is an automatic answer. And because of that, it's extremely successful. Because we don't even have to expend any, any energy to try to counter an enemy. It happens. Now that doesn't just mean any concentration, it just means the intention of sitting down to do it. Day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Until the night. You don't do this to this. You actually do them with this too. And you died between fourth and fifth time. Now, that is the first step. The second step in meditation is called Vichara. And they are very often uh, used uh, together as if they were one word, but they are not, they are two. Vichara is the first word and the second word is Vichara, which means continued application. And that's compared to hitting a gong. Hitting it is Vichara and the sound that follows is Vichara. Then you continue application to the meditation process. Like that sound of the gong which follows the initial routine. Now that means that one can stay concentrated. And that counteracts effectively the system. Get rid of that. One has finally found something that one can say, Oh, Buddha must have known what he's talking about, it's actually possible. One can actually concentrate. And not only that, the skeptical doubt in one's own ability to meditate goes. Because one now has found that one can do it. Skeptical doubt is compared by the Buddha to traveling in the desert without provisions, without a road map, going around in circles, and being overrun by them in the end. Because it's been going on with Skeptical doubt is a very damaging uh, quality on any activity, in any activity. Imagine you want to build a house and you can't make up your mind whether it's going to be round, square, long, high, two stories, three stories, this is set up without it, with a gable roof, with a flat roof, you're never going to be round. If you're skeptical doubt about any of it, Components, know how things is perfect part. Any doubt about any of its components, you're never going to go wrong. There's only one thing to do, and that's not think about it. Do it. And that's the thing whether you build a house or whether you go on a perfect part. Now, building a house, people usually see the necessity to get a roof over there. So they finally make up their mind how to how to do it. Even though they might be driving the architects crazy, they still eventually make up their mind. With the spiritual part, people don't see the necessity. It's not so important. It can be done sometime later, or it may be alright or it may not be alright. It's fine. 
So skeptical doubt on the spiritual part itself, on one's own ability, stops one from going on heart. It stops the heart quality of devotion, wholehearted commitment, gratitude, respect and reverence. If one doesn't have those heart qualities to go along with one's rational mind, the truth is hard as even stop. It's all a myth. Most people say that it isn't it. It'll happen. Because there isn't that heart quality, the open heart, which has those characteristics in it. And skeptical doubt is the enemy for that. The skeptical doubt in the teacher, not necessarily the Buddha, I mean the Buddha is quite famous, so maybe he saw that. But the teacher who is expounding the Buddha's words, the teaching itself, because maybe you can say something else, you can't say the community, somebody can't say the community, maybe that's the other thing to do. All these doubts are nothing but justification for nothing else. And practical doubt has the quality also of a will. If one is skeptical, one has the quality of a Because one doesn't like and nothing to like. Skepticism certainly doesn't like. So, the moment one has actually concentrated sufficiently to make that continuation of the application on the meditation process happen, it then gratitude, reverence, devotion and commitment doesn't arise something else. Then the skeptical doubt has been so strong that one's got into something. Usually it does contact. Not to the point of total elimination. The total elimination of skeptical doubt is only the extremism, which is the first point of entry into freedom of religion. That's when skeptical doubt is totally But if we are learning, and if we are able, have learned and are able to concentrate, we have made skeptical doubt to rest sufficiently in order to start going on. With vigor. Energy, vigor, one of the terms that we want to Because the dark go again. So this skeptical doubt is of course like a place. It holds one. And also it's an ego affirmation. Skeptical doubt is in a person's mind he thinks I've got to know and check it out all myself. And there could very well be something wrong and I will know instead of having trust and confidence. Trust and confidence is a loving state of mind, getting it out is an ill state of mind, and in the state of mind it has that support system for check. I know, I will find out. And getting it out manifests itself in, in language by saying there's trust. 
And it's what you should do. The little Mason's wife in the church is more than one. Not the schools associated with the wives that are consulted. Those are two of the blessings of the Mahamangala sisters, the blessings for women. A fool is a person who has no sickness for A fool is a person who has only childish aspirations to see his children. Not a person who doesn't do anything. And the wise and mature person is a person who sees the world in a in the light of universal characteristics. Universal attitudes. We are all of these are only two of the five factors and we'll have the other three of the world. And again, I like to remind you of the formula, recognition, no blame, shame. If you don't recognize, there's nothing written. So if we find these hindrances um, within ourselves, there's no blame. I'm so busy to understand the five I know the author. These effects to our minds, so finally, I think, one day know that we are not in How to follow him. You've got to get there and come out. Four billion people with the same five minutes. Okay. So, that's a new thing. Okay. Okay. Since I started talking, one billion has appeared, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and Maybe I should reiterate that this is the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which means we understand our interior uh, dialogue or our reaction with a view to the fighting And we also get to know the antidote at the same time and our meditative path, which enormously increases the antidote. So we are having a connection between what we see in ourselves and our meditative state. As if we are taking a dose of an immune system, and we have the medication really going well, the immune system is so enhanced that a lot of the illnesses and automatically become. That's why. One of the reasons why meditation is a must and not a choice. 
Think of all the other people in your life. Everything, music, sweetness, business people, relations. Anyone, that's not a thing. But you've all of them something. Think of them as good as you. And then some of your affections and appreciation. Enjoy to you and them. of anyone who might dislike or difficulties with or the best of the best until that person will be a complete forgiveness for anything in the world and embrace that person and to accept them with appreciation. And to gratitude for
and now think of all the people in this world of whom you might have thought negative thoughts for whatever they do. Forgive each one Recognizing Put your attention to on yourself. Receive the ease and lack of failure from having forgiveness. Notice that you notice the door that comes from Thank you. 